Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome to the Mystery to Me podcast. I'm Anya Kane. And I'm Kevin Greenlee. And we love movies and television shows with a whiff of mystery. Mystery to Me will feature us riffing on murder mysteries, film noir, cozy detective stories, police procedurals, psychological thrillers, legal dramas, tales of teen sleuths, and more. Once we're done yucking it up about whatever we've just seen, we'll serve up our five-star final takes on whether it's worth your time. If you're offended by silliness, profanity, political asides, canine-related interruptions, and losers laughing at their own bad jokes, beware. Also note that some of the stories we'll be talking about are pretty dark, and in some cases exceptionally badly written. So content warning for murder, violence, suicide, torture, rape, racism, misogyny, homophobia, transphobia, and bigotry. If there's a movie or show you'd like for us to talk about, email us at mysterytomepodcast at gmail.com. Our show's take on genre is pretty loosey-goosey. So as long as your suggestion has some dash of mystery, we're interested in hearing about it. Spoiler alert, we're going to be discussing the entirety of this show or movie, spoilers and all. So if you want to be surprised, press pause, go watch the thing, then join us for the show. Now that you've heard our spiel, go ahead and polish off those magnifying glasses and slip into your favorite trench coat. Let's get mysterious. So, Kevin, what film did we just splash into? We just watched The Penguin Pool Murder, a 1932 film starring Edna May Oliver as Hildegard Withers. And James Gleason, uh, who we just saw recently as the coach from Here Comes Mr. Jordan. Great film. He's yeah. also pretty good in this. Yeah, this is a fun one. And it's not just because I love penguins, but I do. You adore penguins. I love penguins. Is that why you picked out this title? Yes. You're like, <laughs> this is Anya written all over it. Desperately trying to please you. <laughs> In a desperate bid to make me happy, you made a great choice. <laughs> Combination of penguins and murder has That's, Anya yeah. written all over it. It's my brand, basically. Basically, this one's also near and dear to our hearts because, uh, well, let, let's get into the let's get into um, what what happens what what happens in this film because I don't want to spoil too much. But we open up at the New York Aquarium, which is in Coney Island, a place where we just recently visited. We just recently visited in the midst of the pandemic, and mm -hmm. it was basically all closed down, but yeah. we still loved it. Yeah. Because we're very peculiar people. We're odd people. We liked walking the boardwalk, but we literally walked by this place and it turns out it was the focus of this weird 1930s murder mystery. <laughs> I love that. I loved, I just want to say like before we get started, I love this movie's weird specificity. Like it's referencing a number of things about New York culture 
in the 1930s, it doesn't feel like it could just be anywhere. Like the 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 fact is in New York means something, and I like that. I like that about a film. And also, as I'm sure we're discuss, it made a very couple of very uh, specific references to recent news events that I think would likely go over the heads of uh, most modern audiences. Yeah, but we got them because we're freaks. Yes, we're very peculiar people. <laughs> we're creepy people who like to research long forgotten murders and know all about them. But anyways. So we open up at this aquarium, so you're getting to see all the f- spooky fish, and they got this like really dramatic music in the background. Yeah, there's at- actually a montage yeah. in the beginning of odd fish, odd octopi, odd sharks. The sharks scared me. I'm scared of sharks. Um, but of course, we see the penguins. I want to point out that these are Galapagos penguins. Those are a type of banded penguins. That are also known as jackass penguins because they like to honk a lot. They're very loud. But anyway, so I, I, I love penguins. Love to know what type of penguins we're going to see here. And uh, this is a pretty small population left on the Galapagos Islands. So it's not not one of the more popular penguins. But that's the one we are treated to seemingly from what I could tell. I literally looked up what kind of penguin was in this movie. Couldn't find anything. So I went through the penguin chart and self-identified identified which one I thought it was. Well, I have full faith in your identification. My diagnosis. Of the, the uh, relevant penguin. I thought maybe it would be important, but it wasn't. <laughs> no, it was completely uh, irrelevant. I have faith in you. And to you, I say kudos. Yeah. I will go above and beyond for penguins. So after we see all these lovely sea creatures, uh, we get off to a uh, start with a guy yelling at somebody else on the telephone. And at this point, I think I started feeling really confident about this movie. Why did you feel confident? Because this guy yelling at the phone on the phone, I think the character's name is Hemingway. Is that, mm-hmm. that accurate? Yeah. He's just yelling and screaming and overreacting, and he has a very creepy voice. How would you describe that voice? It's like alternatively like gravelly, rolling. I thought it sounded kind of phlegmy and high-pitched at points. It's basically all over the place. And it was fun. It was fun. It's like he's freaking out, and he's fun to listen to. He's really, really freaking out. And, and, and I think the person he's yelling at is like a financial person. Mm-hmm. He's very upset with this financial person named Mr. Parker. Yeah. Oh, boy, does Parker have him hot. Oh, yeah. And you feel like you feel like if this guy were in a viral video today, it would definitely go viral. Like if you were yelling at somebody in a store, this would go viral because he just sounds so weird. <laughs> and he just is making all these very strange remarks within this outburst. And then we go to another phone call between a blonde lady. This blonde lady I want to mention is played by the actress Mae Clark, who might be remembered by modern audiences because she played Dr. Frankenstein's wife in the 1930s uh, Frankenstein movie. Interestingly enough, she's referring to the fact that she's broke. It seems like everyone's broke, which is fun because this is 1932, so everyone was in fact broke and... I'm sure living in New York City was somewhat expensive back then, too. So makes sense. Highly relatable content. <laughs> She's talking to a guy named Philip on the phone. And Philip is not her husband. <gasps> her husband, Jerry, comes in. He's outraged. He slaps her. She says, I'm sick of your jealousy. I'm done. It's terrible. It's like domestic abuse is treated just like a joke in this thing. So but it's not really treated as a joke. Well, it's not treated very seriously. People are kind of like, yeah, that's what, you know, she had. It's not treated very seriously. Well, it's it's treated as a legitimate reason for her to leave her husband. Okay, fair. But it's again, it's not treated with, I think, later on, some things happen where you're kind of like, okay. But in, in this particular instance, I think we're supposed to uh, not be fond of this fellow who incidentally is named Mr. Parker. This is the person who was being yelled at by the guy a few minutes ago. He's a bit of a ne'er-do-well, it seems. He is a ne'er-do-well indeed. So now, uh, Mrs. Parker and Philip meet at the Penguin Pool. Yes, the Penguin Pool at the Coney Island Aquarium, the New York City Aquarium. So, uh, for some reason, everybody (laughs) convenes at the Penguin Pool... 
J- Jerry is confronting um, his wife and her lover, Parker. No, wait, oh, I'm be- sorry. Before that happens, uh, so Philip and Mrs. Parker meet there, and she says, you know, last night he struck me. Yes. And he's like, well, I wish I'd been there. It's almost like, do you think he wanted to see it? Or do you think he wanted to defend her? I think he wanted to. <laughs> what? <laughs> Stupid question. Um, and so things are coming to a head at the penguin pool. Because then Parker is at his office. And he gets a phone call from a mysterious stranger saying, you better get down to the penguin pool because your wife is there with another fella. I really want to get a call one day to just be like, you better get down to the penguin pool. And I'll be like, I don't even need to hear the rest of the sentence. I'm going. I'm there. <laughs> so how would you react if you got a call saying, you better get down to the penguin pool because Kevin is there with a skirt? I would probably think you were calling me <laughs> some kind of weird joke. <laughs> and that you would like be surprising me with something at the penguin pool. But... Like I'd be there wearing a skirt. Yeah. or just, Yeah, some weird shit. Or that's how you tell me you bought me a skirt as a surprise or something. <laughs> well, I appreciate your confidence in my fidelity. Yeah, I'm pretty confident. <laughs> I'm not too worried about that. <laughs> but I do see you. I do see you having some odd sense of humor and and trying to do something like that, and and me either being like, "What the hell?" or <laughs> people not quite catching on immediately what you're doing. Maybe I'll call you and and say. <laughs> Maybe what would you do if I said uh, I called you and said, "Better get down to the penguin pool." Anya's there with her secret boyfriend. Would you be running? Would you be doing it with that voice? Yeah, obviously. Your old timey nineteen thirties reporter voice. Yeah, see, she's holding his hand. See, well, they I... look like two birds of a feather at the penguin pool. See, you'd be your hat would blow off your head because you'd be so angry. Steam would be pouring from your ears. But see, I, I recognize that voice. No, you. And then no. Say, oh, Anya. I'm a master of. I'm a mistress of disguise. You wouldn't know. You can do a fake voice that fools me. Do it right now. I no, challenge. I'm not going to do it right. Now. I need to get into character. I need to understand what is this person's motivation for exposing me at the penguin pool. Honestly, the way to do it, I I would probably be like, like, hi, um, you know, is is this Anya Kane? You left your driver's license. You seem to have dropped it at the penguin pool. I saw you and your, uh, you know, your 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 man. That tall blonde man walking around, but I, you know, I figured I'd call you, and then you'd be, oh, why would I be doing this? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, why do you want to convince? Me I don't know. You were trying. On- to, you were trying to. You were trying to act like what? 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 What ruse would you use to make this happen? You're over there like rubbing your hands in mm, glee, like oh, guess the- what? I know a way to make you think I'm a terrible fiance. Start, start, start up, start like. <laughs> Start buying up domains on the internet to have like a semi-legitimate email, so I could <laughs> so I could pose as an aquarium official. <laughs> You're just determined to make me think uh, just, worse of you. Just a total sociopath. <laughs> but what is your game? What, what would I don't you know, accomplish Kevin. by doing let's that? Let's move on. I let, let let's let's do make like a penguin and put this conversation on ice. <laughs> so. So Parker mm. rushes over there. He confronts uh, Philip. There's a quick fight. Mm-hmm. I mean, a really like he just quick punches fight. him. Yeah, Parker just punches the husband in the face, and he goes down. Yes, like less time than it takes me to eat a piece of pizza. He's just down. He's unconscious, and so they figure Mrs. Parker. And Phillips say, well, obviously what we need to do with this unconscious man is we'll just drag him up on a catwalk that's over the penguin pool. And I'm not sure why they did that. It's just normal shit, you know? <laughs> is that what you do? <laughs> no. I wouldn't want him to hurt. Even if I didn't like the guy, I wouldn't want him to hurt the penguins. And also, if you knock somebody out, I feel like you should be seeking medical attention because... If they're unconscious, that's that could be pretty serious. So they're they're idiots, to be very clear. I don't know why they did this. Again, the penguins didn't hurt anybody. This guy could fall on the little penguins. So if you knock someone out, the first thing you do is notify 
proper medical authorities. Well, I, I don't know. I think I would, if I felt, I mean, if I wasn't being a total psycho about it, I would probably maybe be like, hey, there's someone got passed out back there. Maybe look into it, you know, and get out of there. Um, but I'm not sure why they didn't just leave him where he fell. Yeah, the, at the very least, just do that. Don't put him on the catwalk. You're asking for trouble. A penguin walk, if you will. <laughs> Poor little penguins. Anyways, so uh, in the meantime, there's some other shenanigans going down at the aquarium. There's a lot of stuff going on in this penguin pool. Yeah. I mean, there's it's a, a hot ticket, right? There's a penguin pool pickpocket. There's a penguin pool pickpocket. And he's purloining purses. <laughs> yes, the penguin pool pickpocket purloins purses. Mm-hmm. But somebody, an unexpected figure, stands up and stops his reign of terror. And this is our heroine. Yes, my fave. How, how would you describe this character? So this is Hildegard Withers. She is a sharp-tongued, older, unmarried school teacher who's very thin, very tall, takes no guff from anybody, can be a little bit she's very smart very sharp you know can be a little bit overexcited about getting involved in an exciting situation but she's by far she's the best thing about this movie i loved her so much this is a really fun character not what i expected because i didn't know what to expect i didn't know this was part of a series based on a book series which it is um but you know this is, I love this character. I thought she was delightful. And once she started talking and I realized she was going to be not just like a one scene joke, but was going to be the main character, I was like, all right, here we go. I'm locked in. <laughs> the, the, you, come for the penguins, stay for Hildegard. So what about her specifically struck the Kane fancy? Well, see, Kevin, we, we watch a lot of older movies and... So often you have like an awkward looking person or like kind of a nerdy person or, you know, whatever, what have you. Somebody who's not like the conventionally attractive, bland lead type. And they're kind of just a one scene joke, right? Right. And and in this case, somebody who's fulfilling one of those archetypes, a.k.a. the, the kind of sharp tongue spinster who's like, listen here, young man, you mustn't steal like actually gets her own movie. And it's really fun. And she's not treated like a joke. She's treated like an intelligent person who may have some quirks that are funny, but ultimately she is the hero. And I just, there's something really nice about that, you know, because even today I don't, you know, like you kind of feel like everyone's just a movie star and, uh, you know, kind of bland. And then this just feels like it's like, it's very character driven. It's very like, it's just fun. You know, it's, it's, it's quirky. It's silly, but, it's it's kind of nice that she's not she has she has value other than just being a punchline in the film. What do you think? Yeah, she was an interesting character. She was she was uh, smart and intelligent. She wasn't def defined by her gender. I think in a lot of uh, movies and pop culture from this period, uh, when a woman is interested in what is traditionally thought of at that time is men's work, it's often viewed as like a joke. Yes. And in fact, in this movie, there were times when people were a little bit condescending towards Hildegard, but ultimately they came to respect and value her. Yeah, it's like a really progressive movie in that sense. It's kind of almost startling because you keep on waiting because it's an old movie and so much of that, you know, is just problematic shit left and right. But you keep on waiting for it to like really slip up in a big way with this character and be like, nope, she should just go back to teaching. But it never does. It really never does. And I, I, I thought that was cool. But anyways, we meet her. She uh, introduces herself by using her umbrella to trip up the pickpocketer right in front of the group of kids she's leading to this aquarium. <laughs> um, and uh, who is this? Who is this pickpocket? This pickpocket is Chicago Lou. <laughs> What a Chicago name. Lou apparently has been uh, <laughs> on the lam for a couple of months. They've been trying to find him. Thank goodness Hildegard was there with her umbrella. There was an award out for him, a reward for him, and there was some bickering about who should get it. And while they are discussing this award reward and while they're discussing the background of Chicago Lou, Chicago Lou apparently is not just a regular pickpocket. He's a very well-known pickpocket. He's very famous for being deaf and dumb. And while they're discussing all of this, 
Chicago Lou just kind of gets up and walks away. So he's escaped. Chicago Lou. Chicago Lou. I like people when they name they they add Chicago to the part of the names. This is <laughs> you should start going by Chicago Kev or something. <laughs> or Chicago Anya. No, you lived closer to Chicago for a while. Chicago Kane. Chicago Kane sounds like a badass. Sounds like a gangster. It sounds like a gangster. I'd be like with the Tommy gun. Ugh, such power. I I might start calling myself that. Chicago Kane has a real ring to it. Has that alliteration? Chicago Kane. It was a hit by Chicago Kane. Ugh, yeah. I'm into this. <laughs> Ask people to start calling me Chicago Kane, <laughs> even though I've been to Chicago literally once. <laughs> Just one time. Could you like ask your editors to start letting you use the byline Chicago Kane? I wonder what they would do. I feel like they'd be like, um, what? <laughs> people would have like, an <laughs> people would have some questions, I assume. <laughs> but anyways, so this is already a pretty intriguing start to the film you know we get we get introduced to this sharp-tongued dame who takes no guff from pickpockets or police um one interesting note to this which i was surprised by because again it's a 1932 film and listen i'm not i'm not super familiar with everything that's like pre-code or you know 1930s but it was an integrated class she was teaching yeah it was wow a couple of students of color yeah one of one of these uh, students of color was named Abraham, which uh, I think the cliche back then was that uh, young people of color were named Abraham after President Lincoln. Mm-hmm. I was just I was really surprised to see that because you I don't recall another movie where I've seen like a classroom that's supposed to be integrated. And, and we should note that uh, Abraham was not treated as a stereotype. Mm-hmm. He was you know wasn't. He was treated as all the other kids. Just yeah, a normal kid. I'm gonna I'm gonna say something. I almost winced when I saw that because I was like, oh my god, they're gonna make the black kids like the, the you know the joke in some way. You know what I mean? Like so much, so many old movies do that. If there is a character of color or anybody from a different background, you know, especially African Americans, they're kind of like the comic relief or or some offensive stereotype. And in this case, it was like no. And you're like, what? Like, wow, <laughs> who made this movie? <laughs> A decent human being? <laughs> Jesus Christ. So Hildegard realizes that her... I believe it's Miss Withers. Miss Withers. Miss Withers realizes that her hat pin is missing. So she bribes the class, including Abraham, uh, with the promise of whoever finds her hat pin at the aquarium will not have to do homework for a night. So the, the class goes running around. They're all looking for this garnet-topped hat pin. And Abraham finds it. So, you know, but he already did all his homework. So she's going to think of a different prize to give him. But then, then things take a turn that's not very kid friendly. And I believe the kids all see this. So they're going to all be traumatized for the rest of their lives, unfortunately. As Hildegard is standing in front of the penguin pool, she sees a body fall into the penguin pool. A dead body. Were the kids there at that point? They were. They were. (laughs) <laughs> she's going to get some angry letters from parents. I don't think she would even care. No. No, she's not one she's not one of those. You know, she would be like she'd be writing the parents back criticizing their like grammatical errors. She takes no guff, she as takes, you noted. She takes no fucking guff. It's a guff-free zone. Yes. I love her. I love, I just want to say I love this character. She's a lot of fun. So the body goes down to the penguin pool. Meanwhile, we jump back to I guess behind the scenes of the aquarium. Who is the freaky voice guy? Or is that is this a different guy? I think this is still the freaky... I think this, who the fuck is he supposed to be? I don't even under... I mean, I like this movie, but I have no idea who that guy was supposed to be. Is he an aquarium employee? Yes. Okay. He's some sort of high muckety-muck at the aquarium. Oh, yeah. Name a Hemingway. Those aquarium officials, we all know how much power they have. So he's like this freaky guy talking to the couple, meaning uh, the blonde lady... Glenn and also um, Parker, the financial guy, right? Mm-hmm. You know, he was ma- was he mad at Parker? 
Yeah, because remember he was yelling at Parker on the phone at the beginning of the picture. But he's telling them about like some sea creatures eating each other that were like married or something. It was, was that what he was talking about? Yeah. I don't know. This guy is weird. I feel like I couldn't understand him. And frankly, like one of the problems with watching old movies is the sound sounds like it was like recorded on like a potato or like, or like the most primitive equipment ever. And like everything does sound a little bit garbled at times. <laughs> you want to shake people and be like, what are you talking about? Meanwhile, just outside, Hildegard is loudly saying, you know, one of the people in this crowd might be a murderer, which which incites a panic. People are like, I could be in the penguin pit next. Run! <laughs> They're going to just start throwing people in there. Feed them to the penguins. At this point, there was a, a, a watery, swirling transition that you kind of dug. I think it's just nice to see a little creativity. Uh, you know, the, the blonde lady, Glenn, what was her name? Gwen? Gwen Parker. She's like, she yeah. passes out when she, she goes. comes out and then she realizes it's her husband, Mr. Parker is in the penguin tank dead and she passes out. And but somebody catches her. Well, it's this, it's this cool swirling montage of like water and then penguins and, uh, you know, octopi and it's, I don't know. I just thought it was cool and creative. It was, it was, it was trippy. Um, but then she actually gets caught as she falls. And of course, what what man is more dashing and attentive to the ladies than an attorney? Than an attorney, obviously, Mr. Costello. And Costello, I want to note, is played by the guy who played the male lead in the original King Kong. He gave a very stiff performance in King Kong, in my opinion. Very charisma-free, kind of emotionless, emotionless, <laughs> emotionless, kind of lacking in emotion. <laughs> Uh, and kind of stiff. I think he gave okay. a similar performance in this picture. Well, it's just interesting because, I mean, I don't know. I feel like if you were involved in the King Kong fiasco, you should be banned from all zoos and aquariums but based you on your treatment of animals. But you should never have your uh, law license revoked because of such a thing. Well, I mean, I don't know. And then Inspector Piper comes into the aquarium. Hell this, yes. What's his opening line? <laughs> so uh, Mr. Uh, or, or rather Inspector Piper opens up with, some kid pulled up, said there was a dead man swimming with the ducks. <laughs> Something about mistaking penguins for ducks just really makes me so happy. <laughs> like, I don't give a shit that they're fancy exotic birds. They're all ducks to me. <laughs> this is the kind of guy who would see the fancy duck at Central Park and just spit on the ground. <laughs> so what did you think of Inspector Piper? Did oh, I loved him. Did you love him as much as you loved Hildegard? Well, Hildegard is just nice because it's like, She's like a cool, badass lady in a in a film in a film in an era where you don't necessarily expect to see that. But Inspector Piper was great. I really I really loved him too. How would you describe Inspector Piper? He's kind of a grouchy old detective who's kind of you know he's he's kind of set in his ways, but he's still open to like new information. He's not so cynical and so far gone that he's kind of going to cling to like whatever he knows best. So. He's a, he's a cool character. I liked him a lot. His first instinct, his first step, mm -hmm. is to take everybody who's still in the aquarium, crowd them all into the office of the head of the aquarium, and start making insulting insinuations. How does that go? Goes great. Uh, yeah, he's like it's like the thin man method, but instead of having a dinner party, you're in a cr creepy office in a an aquarium in Coney Island. <laughs> so. Basically, he has everyone going through. Hildegard is there, very eager from day, you know, from the jump, and she's actually taking notes, uh, taking down the minutes of the meeting. <laughs> and he's kind of like, okay. Um, Philip Seymour Hoffman is being interrogated. Uh, quickly enough, though, Inspector Piper focuses on uh, Gwen. You know, she had an unhappy marriage with this man who is now dead. Perhaps she knows more than she's saying about his death in the penguin pool. There's a rumpus outside by the tank. What's going on, Anya? It's Chicago Lou! Oh, they get Chicago Lou and they drag him into this office and <laughs> Inspector Piper starts saying, insinuating things to him. And what happens? Hildegard points out, can't you see the man's a deaf mute? And he says, so we won't talk, eh? <laughs> Jesus. This movie. 
It's fun though. So he, he, they're going through all the all the potential suspects. So you have this, uh, you know, known criminal in Chicago, Lou. You have the wife's boyfriend in Philip Seymour Hoffman. You have the uh, the wife herself who might want to get away from this. What man. about the head of the aquarium with a creepy voice? He's creepy, and he felt like he was financially screwed over by Parker. So there's a lot of people who might be suspects here. Um. Uh, one interesting reference that Kevin and I both caught, because again, we're disturbed individuals who like to research old murders, um, was uh, Piper explicitly references the Ruth Snyder execution. Ruth Snyder was a woman from Queens, New York, who uh, became sort of a tabloid media sensation when she um, convinced her boyfriend to kill her husband uh and and so they they both went to the chair for that and actually photos of snyder ruth snyder being executed were leaked or were you know a guy snuck in a camera like in his pants or something and uh snapped a photo of her actually being electrocuted to death and it was a big leak and a big sensation and there's a lot of obsession with her. It's kind of like the female murderess. Oh, she's a blonde and she's beautiful and she's killing her husband. Oh, there's a lot of like weird voyeuristic shit with her. So very interesting that, that you know, this is a contemporary crime and then it's actually being referenced in the movie. But that could that could whiz by you if you haven't read some of the, the media reports from that time. So when he's just making these references, uh, Philip Seymour starts getting the idea that the the blame for this murder might be pinned, as it were, on <laughs> very good on Gwen Parker, and so he suddenly confesses. What does Hildegard make of that? She thinks it's bullshit. She's seen enough kids lying about their homework to know when some guy's fooling. The police and she just pipes up and says he's being really vague with his account of how the murder happened i think he's full of malarkey but piper still has him hauled away but then he turns his attention to the lawyer costello he says what were you even doing hanging around this fish house this is what he calls the aquarium and costello says it's friday isn't it do you know what that refers to yes what what is it referred to? Uh, back in the day, Catholics were not supposed to eat meat on Fridays. That's right. It's a Catholic joke. <laughs> Pretty funny. That's why the filet o fish was invented. So, um, so Costello, uh, you know, I, I related to Costello in the scene. Costello's talking about how much he loves penguins. He says they remind him of little drunk men waddling around in his tuxedos. Love that. He says he even collects penguin toys. I was like, aw. But Hildegard says you can't trust a penguin fancier. That's not cool, Hildegard, because, you know. Well, we'll see uh, if her instincts about penguin fanciers I think she was, turn out to be I correct. Think she, I think she and was, if so, perhaps I need to do some thinking. Oh, my God. Why don't you get out of here? Maybe I should do some thinking about lawyers, Kevin. Hmm. Lawyers who fancy themselves chivalrous. Uh, you're pulling your collar you're sweating so i think she was maybe maybe referencing to the fact like really was is he a penguin fancier seems kind of uh seems kind of random maybe he's just pulling that out of his ass now it's the uh, the turn of the guy who's the head of the aquarium the guy with the funny voice to freak out again (laughs) this guy's walking a razor's edge here (laughs) He's yelling and screaming and hooting and hollering, and he talks about the board of trustees of the aquarium. And Piper's like, I didn't even know you had a board of trustees in an aquarium. What are they? Fish? I love how like this, this grizzled cop thinks maybe the, the aquarium is there for the benefit of fish. <laughs> so they're the board of trustees. <laughs> what? What is going on? I love the way his mind works. This movie is just... I just love because like so many murder mysteries are like, oh, it's on some generic train or, oh, it's in this generic big house. And this is very much specifically the story of the New York Aquarium at Coney Island. (laughs) We're going to get really 
down and dirty in the details and in the muck, you know, in all the tanks. And I, I just love that. I love the specificity of it. It just feels very, it makes it feel more fresh than if it was just kind of like we're on a train or we're in some random little yeah, town. It's not generic any town. It's a very specific place and time. Yeah. And you could feel like, I feel like if I went to, if I went back in time to 1930s, Coney Island, like some shit like this, I could see happening. <laughs> I could see Chicago Lou coming in and Hildegard with all the kids. Like it just feel, uh, I don't know. It's just, it feels like there would be a lot of characters back then. So do you think you'd be the Hildegard if you were back then? I, if I, I would get the fuck out of there. Are you kidding me? I mean, maybe I think I'd want to be the Hildegard, but I'm not, I'm pretty like much a people pleaser. So I'd be like, okay, like, uh, as long as you guys don't pin the rap on me, I'm all right. You know, I wouldn't be like sassing the cops. You'd be the Hildegard. Because I'm older? No, just because that's how your mind is. You'd be like, I don't know about that guy. He's a, pretty suspicious that he's a penguin lover. Like, you'd be, you know, be like, please, sir, can you get out of here? <laughs> 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 sir, that wasn't a body for the last time. It was just an unusually large penguin splashing into the pool. <laughs> <laughs> Methinks the game is afoot, or should I say, a flipper. <laughs> so, meanwhile, some rumpus goes down, and what is the nature of this rumpus? <laughs> I couldn't even. I was really delighted by. It. I was following this movie, and I was delighted by it. But some scenes kind of just got by me in terms of what exactly was happening. I guess a cop was supposed to be guarding the area around the penguin pool and he got knocked out. Oh, there was a, there was a penguin that was bothering the cop and honking at him and trying to steal his hat. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love that so much. Cause these are, as I mentioned, jackass penguins. And for some reason during this scene, also uh, Piper and Hildegard are kind of walking through the back of the aquarium. I'm not really sure why. And when they come back from their exploration, they see this cop knocked out. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love how immediately from the jump, they're just like, yeah, like, let's let the this, this teacher who seems to know what she's talking about help investigate the crime. There's no like, there's no like, oh, well, maybe I don't know. Like, it's and, like, yeah, sure. Come along. Whatever. Talking about things that are sort of immediate from the jump. What happens in the next scene? <laughs> Piper and Hildegard go on a fucking date. They go to her apartment and they're like eating food and like they're eating breakfast. Oh shit! I didn't even wreck. Oh man, I didn't realize that they were eating breakfast. They were eating breakfast. So they they got sex. <laughs> I I don't know. I'm just so they are on a date and they're now a couple. I don't know. I just like I did not expect this to be about like older people having fun and solving a murder. Like it's just nice. It's just a nice film. And I'm like shipping it. I'm super shipping it. Because he's very he's very cantankerous. Like you'd think like in another movie he'd be like, Women don't belong and get the hell out of here. Like from the get go. But like even though he makes comments about like, oh, you can't be a lady detective, that's not a good idea. Like for the most part, he's just kind of like, sure, like you're smarter than me, you can figure this out. So I thought that was kind of cool. He says stuff. He says, like, a woman detective always looks like a woman detective. What do you think Piper meant by that? You could never move so far up in the ranks because you're always going to be a woman first. I don't know. He, he makes cryptic sexist statements, so I'm not saying he's the best written character ever. But, but like, his actions are more like, oh, you know, let me just give over the investigation to this random person who I respect. In the midst of this uh, encounter, if you will, uh, he gets a phone call with some shocking news. You know that missing hat pin? Yes. Well, it turns out that was what was used to skewer what? the victim. Yeah. He didn't die from the fall into the penguin pit. <laughs> he was actually stabbed with that. He was skewered. He was stabbed through the right ear. Ugh, gross. Does this mean that Hildegard is herself a suspect? Well, she uh, she basically is like, <laughs> she's basically like, if you think it's me, why don't you just arrest me already? And he's like, uh, and then she's like, I s suppose I'll turn out to be Parkins' deserted hometown sweetheart. <laughs> but they don't arrest her because they don't think it's her. So 
Meanwhile, Hildegard kicks it up a notch after after some of uh, uh, Piper's dismissive comments about lady detectives. She decides to actually go search for clues. Uh, so who does she who does she look for? Uh, she interviews some uh, younger lady, who I guess worked with the victim. Yeah, she worked with uh, Parker, and they make a, an interesting joke. Well, I think they were joking about lesbians because the woman the woman was like. Oh, well, it must have been a man calling because why else would he call me baby? And uh, Hildegard's like, yeah, not this far downtown. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that was like a joke about there being a lot of lesbians in New York City. So that was kind of cool. <laughs> this is weird. It's like weird piecing together like what New York City was like back then based on this movie. But like you kind of feel like you get a little bit of a sense of it. And then there was a, a reference that I didn't get, but I think you got. Uh, the 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 Miss Miss um Hildegard slut shames the girl by saying like you know maybe you should go for a lighter shade of lipstick that's a bit vulgar and then the the woman <laughs> snaps back and calls her Lydia Pinkham who was a quack marketer who sold lots of uh, herbal medicine crap to uh, supposedly help women with menstrual their menstrual menstrual cycles and PMS and the look on. Uh, Miss Withers' face is one of just <laughs> deep embarrassment as she walks out of the, the office. <laughs> that was like a really, that was like a sick 1930s burn. <laughs> I don't know what the equivalent would be today. Or like, basically, I think it was just like you look old and insane. <laughs> so she then goes back to uh, Piper's office and she has an idea. She says, why don't you release to the press that the hat pin that killed Parker was pushed through the left ear rather than the right ear? Because then we'll see if somebody actually knows the correct ear, then we'll know that's the guilty party. Now, that's based on an actual law enforcement practice of withholding evidence, but I don't think it's good law enforcement practice to like put out misinformation. No, it's not. <laughs> that would just confuse things hopelessly. So close, but no cigar. Now, now we meet yet Max. another. Yeah, your guy. Tell us Max, about Max. Max is the German lab analyst who seems very menacing, <laughs> but he's just perfectly fine. He's just a guy doing his job. There's something about him that's creepy. Did you find him creepy? Yes, I love that. <laughs> I was like, is this going to be the murderer? He found something about uh, Gwyn Parker's stockings had like some aquarium wa aquarium water or something on them, but he just said it in a very creepy way. So I wasn't even processing what he was saying. Yeah, it was <laughs> lots like, of ooh. great like weird like one-off characters who like don't come back and don't matter, but are just kind of like memorable in their own way. So then Hildegard and uh, Piper then go visit uh, Philip Seymour in prison. And they're like, Gwyn is trying to do to you what Ruth Snyder did to Judd. They're trying to convince him to pin the blame on Gwen. What do you think is like the the modern day equivalent to like the Ruth Snyder murder in terms of people making references like this? You mean like pop culture stuff? Yeah, I guess in the '90s it was that one in Long Island where the woman, sh the mistress, shot the wife. Talking about a Foucault case? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what a name. And of course, uh, OJ, uh, Casey Anthony. Mm, I think I think Ruth Snyder was her day's Casey Anthony because everyone was kind of like, like everyone was like, oh, Casey Anthony's so pretty. Like there was like a weird angle to some of that. Is there anything like that now or in today's uh, era with true crime podcasts? It feels like there's lots of cases that make a big sensation in the true crime podcast world, but never really penetrate into the larger public consciousness. I don't know. I mean, I think people get upset. I think people, I think there's been a bit of a shift in terms of how things are covered. And I'm not saying, I think with the right circumstances, we could absolutely get another Casey Anthony situation on our hands. But right now, things are so focused on like the national political scene. Like a lot of, I feel like our national spectacle comes from that. And with, with things like crimes, Sometimes those can be a spectacle, a public spectacle, but 
we're just getting bombarded with spectacle after spectacle. I don't know if there's like an appetite for like, oh, this crazy murder. So are you suggesting that for a crime, for the masses to find much interest in crime, the world at large needs to be a bit more stable than it is these days? Well, maybe, or at least the media landscape or people's awareness of things. I mean, obviously crazy shit was going on in the 1930s all over the world, but, you know... I think a lot of ingredients need to go into making a crime a sensation for sure. But, um, and with Ruth Snyder, I think it was kind of like, women can kill, ooh, and she's kind of pretty, ooh, like, and and people got all, you know, crazy about that. Um, And maybe there was kind of like an element of like, you know, it was a pretty... Pretty, uh, you know, maybe a woman didn't necessarily have a lot of options in terms of like divorcing her husband back then. Like, I don't, I don't know quite what the legality was, but maybe there was an element of like people being like, like "Oh, that's not what women are supposed to do," you know? Why my, is my wife gonna kill me? So you think the transgressive uh, nature of oh, it yeah. attracted some attention? I mean, if you read Damon Runyon's piece about it, all he calls her the blonde the whole time. It's like she, it's like. He just kind of minimizes her into being this kind of blonde femme fatale. And and like he I think he writes about her with some depth and like kind of imbues some depth with her. But for the most part, it's kind of like she's a femme fatale. She's so dangerous. There's nothing more dangerous than a blonde with a plan. And the plan is murder. Yeah, I don't know. So and with with Casey Anthony, obviously it was like it was like all all the all the television media and whatnot, uh, the focus on her being a terrible mother, all that stuff. Yeah, people killing their kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris Watts. Yes. Chris Watts, I think, was the closest thing to like a big sensational crime recently. Because, you know, it was like, killed your whole family. Jeez. So I, I think that there can still be cases like that, but they recently they don't seem to have been as kind of like, are we as a culture becoming too jaded to be, uh, it takes more and more to shock us. I think it takes more and more to shock us. I also think there's probably a greater understanding of like, like I think in the past, I don't know. I think there's a, maybe a greater understanding of like how violent men are towards women. So I think in the past there used to be a lot of focus on female murderesses. And nowadays people are realizing that like that is focusing on just the novelty of it, you know, and maybe, maybe more energy should be focused on like men killing women than vice versa. Yeah. I think people are are more aware that we live in like a rape culture. Yes. So it's like, you know, when it's obviously, obviously Ruth Snyder shouldn't have killed her husband in a brutal way. That was shitty or shouldn't have arranged for that to happen. If you're a female murderess, I think most women are like, yeah, you should go to jail. But I think a lot of people, and especially women are make up most of true crime consumers, I would say a lot of people are increasingly aware that, you know, if you want to focus on something, if you want to get really angry about something, it's probably men killing women and not going unpunished. So th- there's less of a naivete about it to a certain extent. Obviously, things like missing white woman syndrome in the media and in the media picking up certain cases and not others are certainly still problems. And I believe will probably continue to be still problems, but yeah, I really just feel like a lot of the national attention is just on, is on the spectacle that, that politics have become. So we're not, we don't have the energy for like a big all consuming trial right now. Maybe if things calm down on a national level, a lot of the kind of voyeurism and, craziness would get focused on to a crime so anyways after that uh uh bleak aside into the nature of crime and true crime consumption um let's go back to the movie uh i would say uh oh this is fun uh hildegard announces to piper that you know she's seen enough men around here to know that if the murder's going to be solved a woman's got to do it and Piper isn't mad. He's just like, she can cook too. He's like in love. He's got like big hard eyes. <laughs> I just love that. <laughs> and then um, 
He'll... Well, you you really like this character. I do. The, you were worried that in another movie she might be like a one-note joke. Yeah. Instead of being not only the main character, but kind of a badass. She's a total badass. And the movie doesn't like... The movie might like make fun of some of her quirks and stuff, or her, her being kind of, you know, a bit stern, a bit, you know, school teachery or whatever, but... She doesn't, you know, it. it's not like mocking her, you know, like I we've saw we've seen other movies where like there's been some nerdy looking lady and like it's like the movie is like holding out this these nerdy lady characters. So like people are just guffawing and rolling over in the aisles and screaming and hooting and hollering in, in this. You're like she's not held out like, look at this joke, you know. If we laugh, we're laughing with her. Yeah. She's she's not conventionally attractive and she thinks she's smart. Ha ha ha. No, it's like you she you just respect her, you know? And 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 that, that that's very refreshing. It's not trying to it's not it's not trying to like make a mockery out of her. It's trying to it's, she's she's the hero of the film. So now Hildegard and the lawyer Costello are for some reason sneaking into the aquarium after it's closed and when they get inside there they hear a horrifying noise aquarium nights aquarium after dark after dark <laughs> aquarium aqua dark <laughs> um do you like aquariums i've only been in a couple oh which ones i went the one in uh chicago oh what's that called the one uh up by a uh, soldier field What's that one called? I, I've been to a Chicago once, and I did not go to the aquarium. Why not? Don't you like aquariums? I was busy going to see some beautiful art, Kevin. You know, some of us can walk and chew gum at the same time. I'm a classy lady. I was too busy visiting schools that I was about to get rejected from. <laughs> so, um, that horrible, horrible, murderous racket that terrifies Hildegard is actually a penguin who's in distress and who is being uh, helped by the crazy screaming guy who we all know and love. So what, how, why was this penguin in, in distress? Well, gruesomely, the penguin actually swallowed a hat pin. <gasps> a hat pin? Kevin, could it be the murder weapon? I, I think what he actually squall swallowed was the hat band. Oh, Oh, wow. Jeez. I was, I had a very dark interpretation of that. It looked like it was like the cloth band that was around the hat. Oh, wow. I'm, I feel dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, baby. We, I, cut, we cut this out. I, I, I can't pay attention to a goddamn thing. So, yeah, the the hat band, um, that was from the, uh, the victim's hat, right? Oh, right. no, or the murderer's hat. The murderer's hat. The murderer's hat fell into the penguin pool, and this poor penguin ate the hat band, but fortunately, the penguin's okay. She just was having some stomach pains, but the uh, the scary screaming guy saved the penguin. So now if we can figure out whose hat band is missing, I guess, that could be something important, or match the hat band with a hat. This is how forensics worked back in the 1930s. It was all hat-based. It was all like, oh, he's wearing a fedora. <laughs> Here's his hat band. <laughs> Yeah, Hats were such a big deal back then. I just, I don't know. Like, you're supposed to be able to identify, I think, some certain characters based on what hat they're wearing. And, of course, to me and I think to other people in modern audiences, you're just kind of like everybody, it's everybody's just wearing the same fucking hat. Yeah, I'm with you. Sister. Hats off to them. But, so the penguin, uh, so yeah, they, but before they can, you know, really put this cute clue to use, things get a little hectic. What happens, Kevin? The penguin... Is it waddles off? I think it pulls the cord, an electric cord, and the room goes dark. See, the penguin was the murderer. It was his, it was her hat band. <laughs> the penguin's a girl. <laughs> so she tried to eat the hat band to uh, cover the evidence. Yeah. She's the Ruth Snyder of penguins. <laughs> she was trying to murder her mate and steal all his fancy smooth pebbles that, no, that, that's, that's the Adeli and the Gen 2 penguins, so... Forget, forget that inaccurate penguin joke. How dare you? How dare I? But so the room goes dark. There's like yelling. Hildegard calls the police. Uh, it's kind of a confusing scene that doesn't really go anywhere. Yeah. 
it's not a spoiler to say that this hat band is not at all relevant in the denouement. No, it's yeah, it goes nowhere. And I mean, like this is a pretty uneven movie. I think the <laughs> I mean, like listen, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoy it, but I'm not gonna say like, oh my god, this is the best storytelling I've ever seen. I really feel like the performances from the main characters and the supporting cast, or at least some of the supporting cast. And the, the weird setting and the, and just the funny lines really elevate this from what would be a pretty mediocre picture into what is actually quite a fun picture. What do you what what sayest thou, Kevin? It's not a great movie, but it's a fun movie. It's a fun movie, and for me, I'll take fun any day, especially with a murder mystery. Make it fun. Yeah. So in the midst of all this, Piper comes in and then somehow uh, Costello says, guess what? I've got word from Chicago Lou, the deaf mute pickpocket, that Chicago Lou knows for a fact who committed the murder. And so the cop immediately, uh, Inspector Piper, being a consummate professional, wants to bring in the civilian school teacher who he's hooked up with now. And Costello is like, why would we do that? We, we, no, don't do that. But of course, Piper is in love. So he he brings her, he invites her to come down to the tombs. There's <laughs> a jail in Manhattan. It's a great date place. Yeah. Very romantic, as we know from our Kevin, experience of the tombs. Kevin Peep. Which a, we not talk about that. It's a notoriously... We didn't go to the tombs. We went to the, the Brooklyn jail where Ghislaine Maxwell was being held. We, we didn't go there. We just stood outside until someone asked us to leave. We've had many romantic strolls at a cemetery. Yeah, we have. We're so edgy and morbid. Wow, we're like fucking goth teens or something. Uh, we've broken into some insane asylums. Oh, I think we need to bury this tombs talk. Put a headstone on it. Yes. So, so when they get there, they find uh, Chicago Lou hanging. He's killed himself. And Costello has some convoluted explanation I didn't really understand as to how perhaps Chicago Lou didn't kill himself, but perhaps he was killed by Philip Seymour. And Philip Seymour saying, no, you're lying, see? Did Chicago Lou, Chicago do himself in? <laughs> Chicago lose Chicago life is over. Did Chicago lose Chicago do it? <laughs> we're, 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 we're one of the guards yelling, Chicago Lou, don't Chicago do it. <laughs> the man committed suicide. No. <laughs> no. No. There's, they follow the Chicago clues to find out that Chicago Lou was actually murdered. And that makes everyone Chicago blue. Oh. <laughs> if I keep doing these jokes, are you going to Chicago sue me? <laughs> Anyways, I'm over here offering a Chicago boo. Ooh, I I I accept that. It's fair. I just had to Chicago do it. <laughs> Can we move on to something Chicago new? Yes, thank you. Good transition. Thank you. So, uh, Costello demonstrates how Seymour could have feasibly escaped from his prison cell and looped a wire over Chicago Lou's neck. <laughs> And hung him until he died. <laughs> so, yikes. The tombs, everybody. Then somehow they base all, they take all this and somehow then Gwen is on trial. <laughs> Did you catch like where they flipped it? Yeah, I didn't understand that. So Gwen is on trial. For Moida. And, most foul. And Costello, the penguin-loving attorney, is representing her. And for some reason he has Hildegard on the stand. And he cross-examines her aggressively. He's accusing her of murder most foul. Or should I say murder most penguin? <laughs> oh, lordy. So, yeah, he goes hard at her. He's he, he's acting like Jack McCoy from fucking Law and Order. Like, he's revealing. And the, the judge is rightfully like, she's not on trial. What are you doing? And he's like, your honor, I'm going to... 
prove nothing but make a bunch of dumb insinuations about this person. He he actually takes up what she was joking about earlier. She joked that, oh, they're going to make it out to be that uh, I was the lost love of this guy who got murdered. And he actually starts doing that. So her prediction kind of came true. And he's saying, oh, I know you did this. I know you maybe you, you stabbed him through the right ear with a hat pen and blah, blah, blah. And, and, and he says, oh, I'm through this witness. And then Hildegard stands up and says, well, maybe... You're finished with the witness, but the witness is not finished with you. <gasps> Me and Kevin are like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> and Inspector Piper is just grinning. He's like swooning in the audience. Um, because Hildegard caught the fact that in his cross-examination, he revealed that he knew which ear uh, the victim was stabbed through. So obviously he's the guilty man. And uh, the facts come out in sort of rapid succession after that. Uh, it turns out Costello was also uh, Gwen's lover. She got around. And, uh, you know, he's being, you know, read for filth in the courtroom. So everyone realizes that he did it. And he, out of desperation, starts pulling out a gun. But Piper tackles him and then the whole... Court is going, is jostling and running around, and and uh, Hildegard faints in all the excitement. They nailed him. Do court, do trials typically end like that? Kevin, as as a lawyer, maybe you could speak to this. Uh, almost never. I mean, there's there's a couple of times that I'm aware of when uh, a person on trial like abruptly stood up and threw something, you know, like the the chair he was at on, you, at the judge. <laughs> Did you see it happen? Uh, where a guy, uh, he was on trial and he uh, stood up and he grabbed a, a chair and he threw it at the judge. Was it the judge you were clerking for? No. Oh, so you were like, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> ah, this is old news. <laughs> as long as it's not my judge. Yeah, then I'm fine with it. Did it hit the judge? No. What happened? It didn't go too far because chairs are heavy. I could bet I could have done it. <laughs> You're so cocksure. Yeah. My brute strength. <laughs> You're as weak as a kitten. Oh, please. I'll chuck you at the judge. <laughs> I'd like to see you try. You don't have it in you. I think I do. Well, we'll never know. I'll chuck my penguin paraphernalia at the judge. Hildegard comes too, uh, and Piper comes and reunites with her. And he, he says, you know, Gwen and Philip are going to be released. Mm-hmm. And even you, Hildegard, must get a little thrilled that we help these young people to this happiness. No, 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 no. That's Hildegard says that. So Hildegard says, even you, Piper, must get a little thrilled that we help these young people to this happiness. And they go and stand out in the window and look through it. And they see Philip waiting for Gwen to come out. And Gwen comes out and they exchange words and he slaps her. And and Piper says, "Add a boy." So that's that's one that's one point where the the kind of you know obviously I felt like it kind of was treating men hitting ladies as a joke. Don't appreciate that. But what happened next? Well, um, they start debating about whether or not it matters if like unattractive people find romance, <laughs> basically. And then they both are clearly talking about they're you know they're talking about themselves, and then. Uh, Piper proposes marriage and Hildegard accepts. And then the film ends as these two crazy kids run off to the marriage license bureau. And that's it. That was the penguin pool mystery. That was the penguin pool. We can come up for air now (laughs) between the ice flows. I, what did you think of this movie, Kevin? Uh, it wasn't a great movie. There was a lot wrong with it, but uh, Hildegard and Piper were both fun characters that carried it through. Uh, the mystery element was rather weak. Oh, yeah. And there was a lot of scenes that were extraneous. Yeah, completely extraneous. What uh, what, uh, what do you think? I mean, the, they carried it through. What do you think allowed them to carry it? through it what separates this from sort of your run-of-the-mill mediocre 1930s mystery movie uh i i think piper and hildegard are both to some extent unlikable 
if you met them in real life, I think they'd both get on your nerves pretty quickly. But they're both very similar, and you could tell really on they both genuinely like each other and are amused by each other. And so seeing their interactions to me was fun. What about you? So it basically reminded you of us. It was it was eerie. <laughs> Don't you did you think if people met us in real life they'd like us? No. So why do you say that? What do you mean? Why do you think people would not like us? No, I'm just kidding. I think I think we're okay. But it didn't. I think it's like they're two weirdos who like are caught up in the mystery of it. So I think that's like us. Yeah, that's our vibe. Yeah, I thought I thought the performances really made made it stand apart, and I thought it was actually legitimately funny in some places. You watch a lot of old movies, and you're like, this is desperately trying to be funny. Maybe it was funny to 1930s people, but I do not find it amusing. But this part, this movie actually made me laugh. I guess the big question is, do you see yourself wanting to watch any of the other movies in this series? Yeah, I'd I'd watch them. I'd see them. So, yeah, do you have any final thoughts on this? Uh, I'm anxious to hear your unvarnished take. My unvarnished take. I'd say that like a penguin hopping around a rocky beach, the film might appear a bit stupid or silly at times. But also, like our black and white feathered friends, it's smart. Well, smart maybe is a bit of an overstretch. <laughs> but also like our black and white feathered friends, it's pretty cute and a hell of a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. Woo. Pen- thanks for listening this week. I'd like to give a special thanks to Kevin T. Greenley, who's no relation to me. He's the guy that composed the great music for this podcast, and you can find him on the web at kevintg.com. You can follow us on Twitter at mystery to me. That's mystery underscore two underscore me underscore and at Mystery To Me Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And you can always send us recommendations and feedback of any kind at Mystery To Me Podcast at gmail.com. We're not teens setting up Hotmail accounts in the early 2000s, so all of those spell out two as T-O. Thanks, Thanks so, so much, much for, for listening. listening.